All right, well, we are in Joshua chapter 8, as Daddy was saying. And uh, does anybody remember, um, I don't know, maybe I won't put you on the spot, because I had to look back at my own notes to see what I said. Uh, I was going to say, does anybody remember what we talked about last time? But uh, we were in Joshua chapter 7, and um, we, um, we saw some examples of... Um, defeat, uh, some examples of loss. Um, we saw the defeat of the entire army uh, at uh, the, the battle of, of I've, I've heard some people I've listened to call it AI, some people call it I. Um, I may go back and forth, I don't know which one is right. But uh, uh, so we saw the defeat of the whole army and then we also learned of the personal loss of um, a guy named Aiken. And uh, you'll recall that uh, Achan disobeyed the Lord by taking some of the plunder from the city of Jericho that he wasn't supposed to, to do. This was expressly forbidden by God. And uh, as a result of his sinful actions, uh, not only did it trigger the loss uh, in battle of the, the army, but it also, uh, you know, he and his whole family experienced loss. They were, they were and um, all of his household and so forth. So, um, Today we pick up the story there, and uh, I've, um, uh, I've, I've entitled this, uh, for my own notes, I try to put a little title there, and I said, you know, if at first you don't succeed, try it God's way the next time. <laughs> uh, so that's, that's the big idea here, and, um, you know, hopefully uh, you, you'll see that. So um, in, in, verse, uh, in verse 1, we'll, we'll start, and it says, and the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear and do not be dismayed. So why would, um, why would Joshua have been uh, fearful or dismayed? Well, I think this is a reaction that we probably all uh, experience because what had just happened, you know, what had just happened was uh, he had seen this family uh, severely punished, and he had seen his own army punished uh, because of this man. And clearly, he would have experienced a sense of failure uh, uh, personally, uh, the loss of someone in his tribe for whom he was responsible. Uh, as the leader in battle, he likely would have felt some responsibility, uh, probably would have known that he was not in right relationship with God, that they had in essence, corporately sinned and, and had received that judgment. Um, so that's like a lot of us, you know, if we get punished, uh, if we run afoul from God, we, we do feel that distance. And as he always does, God takes the initiative, and he's the one that comes to Joshua, saying, do not fear, do not be dismayed. And, um, and then he just jumps right into... Uh, giving him new instructions. And here they are. Take all the fighting men with you and arise, go up to Ai. Uh, this is different already, right? Remember Joshua thought that uh, on account of the advice from his spies that you know, we don't need to take everyone, we can just take part of the uh, fighting men. And uh, God says, no, take them all up. And... Uh, he says, see, I've given into your hand the king of Ai and his people, his city and his land, and you shall do 
to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king, only its spoil and its livestock you shall take as plunder for yourselves, lay an ambush against the city and behind it. Um, and you can, you can read um, uh, what happens, but uh, I thought it would be good just to diagram this. Do we have a... There we go. Um, take off our pastor's illustrations here. <laughs> Amazing though they are. Um, so basically, um, you've got the city. Um, actually, it wasn't really a city. Um, I was... Um, if you... You kind of get the idea it was a it was a city from the scripture, and I think part of that is us kind of reading into it. They say archaeologically that it was probably kind of a settlement outpost uh, from Bethel. Uh, Bethel was over here uh, to the west of um, of I, and um, uh, this would have been an encampment, an outpost, uh, like a village, but definitely there were uh, there was a um, a military uh, outpost here, and so we know that um, you know this is a the Jordan River. You know the Israelites have already, have already come uh, this far west, and uh, are probably in this in this area. So what actually happens if you if you read the scripture? Uh, Joshua divide on um, God's planning divides his army into into three groups. Uh, there's a valley to the north of Ai, and the main contingent, uh, 20, 25,000 people, our uh, fighters, are here. It puts about 5,000 to the area between Bethel and Ai. If if archaeology is right, and I was basically a frontier outpost for the city of Bethel, um, this would have, if there were reinforcements that were going to come, they would have come from Bethel. In fact, there's a nice little documentary on the History Channel that you can YouTube, and they, they call the people that were battling in, in I uh, Bethelites, because they were basically in a frontier outpost, um, probably for defense, from uh, from Bethel. Let me see if there's one of these works. So then, a smaller contingent um, was either directly from the east or maybe a little bit from the north. But basically, his main contingent uh, approaches the city, and there's this plane of battle as they they did back then. Um, the commander of I says, ah, here they come again with their little measly force, just like they did last time. We're going to go out and meet them on the field of battle. And that's what they did. And then as the fighting you know, wasn't going really well, um, they start to retreat, a really fast retreat, um, as if they're running and scared, just like they did the last time. Well, when they get to a certain point, probably on a high spot, uh, Joshua holds up his sword or javelin or whatever weapon it was. I don't know if it was reflections of light. This is what the History Channel supposes. But in some way signals this group here 
that, sorry, this group here, that the pursuit has happened. All the remaining forces that were in the city have now vacated to join the battle because they really want to rout this group. This leaves the city or the village undefended. This group goes in and just torches the place. As soon as they see the flames going up, they realize they've been had, start to head back to, um, to you know, kind of recollect themselves. At this point, Joshua and his group turn around and pursue them, and this main army comes down and cuts them off, and they're annihilated. And uh, 12,000 were killed. Um, everybody was destroyed. But all the people that scattered into the surrounding wilderness, wilderness were taken care of um, on God's command. And uh, the difference is, is that this time they were able to take plunder, you know, livestock, etc., etc., uh, back to their city. Uh, so that takes us um, through this whole um, bulk of Joshua 8. And uh, I guess we could pick up in verse 24. It says, When Israel had finished killing all the inhabitants of Ai in the open wilderness where they pursued them, and all of them to the very last had fallen by the edge of the sword, all Israel returned to Ai and struck it down with the edge of the sword. And all who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000, all of the people of Ai. But Joshua did not draw back his hand with which he had stretched out the javelin until he had devoted all the inhabitants of Ai to destruction. Only the livestock and the spoil of that city Israel took as their plunder according to the word of the Lord that he had commanded Joshua. In other words, they didn't take any slaves. Okay. So Joshua burned Ai and made it forever a heap of ruins as it is to this day. And he hanged the king of Ai on a tree until evening. And at sunset, Joshua commanded, and they took his body down from the tree, threw it at the entrance of the gate of the city, and raised over it a great heap of stones which stands there to this day. Now, what happens next? Well, um, we've got the battle plan. The plan works perfectly. AI is des destroyed. Uh, the king is spared and then is killed separately. And now we have the renewal of the covenant. Verse 30. At that time, Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal. Just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the people of Israel as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones upon which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there in the presence of the people of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. And all Israel, sojourner as well as native-born, with the elders and officers and their judges, stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priests, who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, half of them in front of Mount Gerizim, half of them in front of Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded at the first to bless the people of Israel. And afterward, he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel, 
and the women and the little ones and the sojourners who lived among them. So to really understand what happened here, we have to go back. You see several times where it says just as Moses had commanded or just as it was written in the book of the law. So to see what this was, go ahead and turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 27. And we'll see that what Joshua is doing is actually had been previously proscribed um, by Moses. You know, this is what you're going to do. So Deuteronomy chapter 27. And it says, Now Moses, this is verse 1, Now Moses and the elders of Israel commanded the people, saying, Keep the whole commandment that I command you today. And on the day you cross over the Jordan to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall set up large stones and plaster them with plaster. You shall write on them all the words of the law, etc., etc. Verse 4, And when you have crossed over the Jordan, you shall set up these stones concerning which I command you today on Mount Ebal, and you shall plaster them with plaster, and there you shall build an altar to the Lord, and so forth. And you shall write, verse 8, you shall write on these stones all the words of the law very plainly. And then in verse 9 and following, it describes how this is going to happen. And I had a hard time understanding this, but I'll tell you how the, the best way I've, I've come to understand it. How many of you have ever been to a Gamecock football game? Okay. So there is a cheer that happens where one side of the stadium says one thing and then the other side of the stadium answers back, right? And it says first, right, back and forth, back and forth. Well, this is a picture, I'll just take it around. This is a picture of Mount Ebal on your right, which would be to the north, and Mount Garrison to the south, which would be on your left. This is looking from the east at the area which would have been Shechem. And you can see what they're calling mountains, which are really basically that we call them kind of big hills. <laughs> uh, but you see the valley there. So what happened is, is that you had half the tribes on one side and half the tribes on the other side. And the priests are going to get on the arcs there in the middle. And the priests are going to get on one side. And uh, if you look down in um, verse 14, it says, And the Levites shall declare to all the men of Israel in a loud voice, Cursed be the man who makes a carved or cast metal image and abomination to the Lord, a thing made by the hands of craftsmen, sets it up in secret. And all the people shall answer and say, Amen. So the you got the one crew that's saying amen to the curses. And then that goes all the way down through most of chapter 27. And then in verse 28, we hear the other crew goes and gives answers to the blessings. And it's this back and forth where they read the law then they say amen. And so you picture, I mean, these are thousands of people that are hearing this, I guess, down in the valley and I guess... God maybe supernaturally amplifies the voice, or maybe the acoustics were just amazing with the rocks and everything. Um, but this would have been quite the spectacle, right? I think it's 
kind of cool, you know. So you, next time you're at the Gamecocks game, you think about the uh, <laughs> the Israelites there camped there um, on either side of the valley at Shechem, and uh, you know, like I said, uh, half the tribes uh, were in charge of blessings, half the char- tribes were in charge of the cursings, and uh, that's the way that happened. And of course, the important thing was if you read those lists, uh, they're very very practical things, uh, very, um, uh, they're not all just, um, you know, things to do about God and ceremony, and although there's plenty of that, but the very practical things, you know, like you don't sleep with your mother-in-law, for example. I mean, just very practical, helpful things, um, which is good to know, right? It's good yes. to know. <laughs> you know, it's just... Very practical stuff in the body. <laughs> that probably embarrassed you, did it? <laughs> um, all right, so what are some of the themes from this chapter that we can get? Uh, I think one theme is, uh, as I mentioned before, God takes the initiative to reconnect with Joshua. Um, he takes the initiative. Um, when we... Um, when we sin and we feel that distance, uh, it is often God who takes the first step, I think, through the stirrings of the Holy Spirit to, um, to turn our heart to, to want to reconnect with him. And I think another thing that's kind of good, you know, just human nature, when we, when we do something wrong, we kind of want to do something right to somehow make it up. I know that's not the way grace works, but that's kind of just our natural thing, right? We we just want to do something right. So God gives them that opportunity. Okay, you want to make it right? Strap on the sword. We're going to do it right this time. And I think that's, uh, that's gracious of God to give Joshua an opportunity to do that. Um, and I think that there are probably times that that opportunity is there for us too. That, that as God approaches us, he does give us a way to, to make things right. Um, the second... Uh, thing I think is that um, God's plan is more complete, it's better thought out, and it's more empowered than Joshua's plan. So um, Joshua's plan was half baked on pretty much every angle. You know, he didn't have enough people, he didn't have a good plan. You know, God took care of all that. He had better strategy. He had uh, just everything. And he had God's power, and I think the the um, insight there is pretty obvious that when we do things God's way, it just goes better. Things work right, you know, and um, and the converse is also true. Uh, when the battle was over, there was a victory, and it absolutely was the right time for renewal of the covenant and um, uh, I think it's um, it's always appropriate to uh, uh, I guess we would say debrief the the situation you know we uh, you come through some big thing and then you say okay let's regroup here let's remember why we're here and that's in effect what God told them okay you've had a big battle Uh, You had a misstep there the first time around. Now we're back on track. Why are we here? Here's the law again, you know, etc. 
Then speaking of the law, I think it's important to remember that God wants us to know what the rules are, right? Um, the whole reason we have the Bible is because God took the initiative to reveal himself to us. Uh, we don't have to guess what he wants. I don't know if any of you guys are Star Trek fans. I won't make you raise your hands. Um, but the, uh, I saw a Star Trek episode the other day. Um, and the, the gist of it was that the, um, the uh, Enterprise, the Starship Enterprise, was there to help out a, um, uh, a research party who was camouflaged to observe this primitive society. And, uh, but something went wrong and, and the, um, uh, the camouflage was revealed so that all of a sudden this primitive society now knew that superior beings were, were watching them. And uh, the little glimpse they saw, they just assumed that these people who could transport one place to another and heal all manner of things, that they were gods. And so they asked the question, well, what do the gods want from us? You know, they need to give us a sign. You know, how, how do we know? And they started guessing as to what they would want. And um, it, it actually was a pretty philosophical discussion that they had on, on the enterprises, the, how to interact with these people. And the thought occurred to me as I was thinking about this, you know, we don't have to guess. They even made the, the statement in the show, um, uh, if we don't tell these people something to believe in, they're going to make it up on their own. And that's kind of what the world has been like, right? You either have the people who accept the revelation of God, or you have people who believe stuff they've made up. And um, I think it's, you know, it's very important to remember God wants us to know, and he has revealed himself to us. And in the the Where's Jesus segment today, um, I think Where's Jesus, Where's Jesus is, is in this picture of the revelation of God. So up until Jesus came, how did anyone know what God was like? It's just through the law. That It was through the law and the teachings of Moses that you knew. What is God like? Well, he likes things that are holy. He likes things that are set apart. He likes things that are orderly. He likes things that are fair. He likes things that are... Um, uh, where promises are kept and guidelines are followed. He's an orderly God, and you could go on. Um, how do we know what God wants from us? It's in the law. How do we properly relate to God? Well, we, we observe the festivals. We observe the things he's told us. We, we um, uh, do the sacrifices. He's told us how we need to rela- react to him. Uh, how do we know what he doesn't like? Well, we've got laws for that too. We know that he doesn't like this. So the only way that you really knew what God liked and didn't like and who he was and what he was like was through the law before. But Jesus came, had an even better, the best representation of who God was. He even said, you want to know what the Father's like? Look at me. That's 
what God is like. I'm what God is like. I am God. Um, when it talks about the passage where it says, uh, where he says, I've come to fulfill the law, I think in one sense that's really one of the ways he came to fulfill the law. You know, to really more, most fully show what the law couldn't completely show, all the attributes of God, uh, Jesus could. So I see Jesus in our passage today in the way that God reveals himself uh, to us. Um, so, applications. Um, a couple things. Um, and this may be a, a little um, bit of a stretch, but I don't think too much of a stretch. Um, as, we, as we go through and we hear about how God treated uh, the nation of Israel and how he dealt with them and how he blessed them. And if you read chapter 27 and 28, it's, it's actually pretty interesting because there's words there about uh, what will happen to the people that are on good terms with you and what will happen to the people that are on bad terms with you. Um, it's interesting where, where this back and forth happened there in the valley at Shechem, um, at our part in the story, they had not really conquered that area, but yet it was a friendly area, uh, perhaps because um, uh, its significance had gone all the way back to the days of Abraham, and some of those people that were there have maybe were already inclined to connect with God and, 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 and join there uh, with that group, um, or at least they were sympathetic and so things were going well. Um, modern day times, I, even though the current political nation of Israel is uh, certainly not the same as the spiritual nation of Israel, uh, you got to think that, that there are some connections there and some parallels there. And um, I know many people have suggested that at least part of the reason that it seems that America has been such a blessed nation may have been because it tends to be a fairly pro-Israel uh, country. We tend to be their strongest ally um, as a, uh, a matter of policy. Um, so it was kind of odd if you picked up on this um, a couple weeks ago. Um, one of the... Uh, the uh, kind of mainline Presbyterian groups, Presbyterian Church USA, PCUSA, said um, uh, we're not going to support Israel. Um, we are going to remove all our investments from uh, companies that have investments there in Israel. Um, and uh, I've came across a story where the uh, what, there's a Republican representative from... Um, Virginia, who said, you know, first of all, let me say I'm a follower of Christ. Second of all, let me say I've been a longtime member of Presbyterian Church USA. Um, he went on to say, you know, this is the only denomination that had an active clergyman who, as a signer of the Declaration of Independence. And he didn't say that he was necessarily ashamed of his congregation, but in effect, that's what he did when he called them out from the floor of Congress to say, you know, <laughs> they are. They've done two things. He said, "I disagree with one is they bless same-sex marriages, and the second thing I disagree with is that they have um, decided to take away their investments from these pro-Israel 
companies, noting that they didn't take their investment away from companies that are in China or in Russia or a lot of other countries that might do morally objectionable things. Um, uh, that That's not a good thing for that denomination to have done, I don't think. Um, and I certainly don't think it's a good, um, a good direction our country would go. Um, because I, I, I think it still matters to a degree how you relate to Israel. Um, a second thing is is that um, this was this was real fighting, right? This is a real battle. These were twelve thousand people that were killed, and if you've seen some of the depictions in the movies of of battle back then, it wasn't pretty. Um, the movie Gladiator comes to mind, which was, uh, I think, a really pretty good movie. Um, but uh, really, not it's not a sterile battle, okay? This wasn't mortar fire from a distance. This wasn't a bomb from an airplane. This was hand-to-hand -hand combat that was not pretty in any sense of the word. Um, I think sometimes we sterilize how dirty and grimy and, and hard battle is. Um, certainly I don't have any personal experience with that. But when we think about places in the New Testament that talk about warfare, I'm thinking specifically of like Ephesians 6 where it talks about the spiritual warfare. I think we try to sterilize that too. I don't think we think about it being as rough and tumble and as hard and vicious as it is, but yet Paul makes a great effort in all of his imagery to say, strap on the sword, get your shield, you know, get your shoes on, all those parts of battle, because I think he was trying to say, this is real life battle. And I think there are a couple of errors that we make as Christians that we either see Satan behind everything that goes wrong, or we don't see Satan at all. And um, I think, you know, we need to have the Holy Spirit's discernment to say, you know, I am not just battling against flesh and blood. There are other forces that want to limit the gospel, want to bring me harm, want to um, uh, narrow the influence that I would have, uh, want to tempt me, want to trip me up. Um, so this is real battle as well. And we need to prepare for that battle just as Joshua prepared his troops as well. Um, all right, well, I guess before I close, let me, I haven't given much time for questions lately. So uh, any questions or comments so far? Anything that's brought to mind? Well, when you say um, about Satan, um, that we say that bad things come from Satan, it's true also that everything good from, comes from God. Yep. I'd give credit where credit's due. Mm -hmm. Anybody else? Wrath out on America. Very strong. 
she called for fasting and prayer for how many days? And lot. I think America has become too prosperous. We live within ourselves instead of encompassing the world around us. And uh, I don't think uh, the Lord meant it to be that way. I think we should be a community of believers. And uh, that, uh, we should share our good fortunes. Anyone else? So, um, I guess just to uh, just to close quickly, uh, there's um, one little part of a sentence that stuck out to me. Um, uh, this this word sojourner, verse thirty three. It says, "And all Israel sojourner as well as native born were part of that." back and forth assembly. And then in verse 35 it says, There was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel, the women, the little ones, and the sojourners who lived among them. Um, these are the people that were assimilated into Israel. They weren't native born, but like Rahab, they were assimilated in. They were, they were sojourners there. And uh, people that were traveling along together with them, sharing in that vision, uh, sharing in, in God's plan for the Israel. Um, and um, in essence, I, I guess it, it's a reminder to me that, that we are sojourners as well. Right? And Hebrews 11 talks about the fact that, uh, in essence, we're all just traveling through here. right? And we are sojourners here, um, in this land, but it's it's not our home. Um, we need to we need to be good stewards of it while we're here. Um, but uh, recognizing that uh, that we are just traveling through. Um, so I hope that we can be gracious to those that we are sojourning with, uh, that we can be uh, influencers of salt and light. Uh, but that we can realize that uh, our focus is uh, is even uh, beyond this. Um, all right, that's Joshua 8. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that um, you repeatedly throughout Scripture, with Moses, with Joshua, through the Bible, through the authors, through your Son, 
you've tried to reveal yourself to us and to show you what you're really like. We thank you that what you're really like is a God that loves us and is always taking the initiative to reach out to us. We thank you for your son. In his name, amen. Thanks, everybody.